Hello, listeners. Welcome to Freelance Friday with Vay Casey, a podcast all about freelancing through the opinions and experience of freelancers. And uh, previously, we've had pretty much full-time freelancers on the show. Kind of decided to uh, change that up a little bit because uh, while... Um, yeah, I think it's great to hear from people that freelance full-time. There are plenty of freelancers that are full-time that aren't full-time freelancers. And I think there's a lot to be learned from them, especially because a lot of times those are the people that are going from working in a job or an agency trying to get out of that and be out on their own. And so, especially for new freelancers, I think that's stuff's really important. Uh, today, however, though, on the show, we have a friend of mine, Skylar Fike, and he actually is a full-time freelancer. Um, and so I thought it'd be great to get to hear from him today. Um, We've known each other for several years. Um, as you've probably, if you've heard any of the other episodes before, you've heard me talk about Weld pretty extensively. And uh, Skylar is yet another person that I've met at, through Weld. Uh, today we're sitting at Wax Space, where we're both currently members. Um, found that being in a creative community has been really helpful. And, uh, and I'm glad to be able to connect with people like Skylar through them. And so uh, today uh, I'm just gonna talk about his story and uh, I will pass it over to him and let him share his story and kind of introduce himself to you now. Thank you, Casey. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so where to begin with the freelance story? Um, uh, Let's see, where did I start? Um, I think freelancing for me, uh, well, I want to, let me backtrack for a second. I, I'm, I'm trying to get, uh, kind of away from, from the freelance title, right? I think right. maybe we all are. Right. There's this aspect of like, oh, if I'm freelance, then uh, that means that, um, you know, I, you know, sleep in a 200 square foot apartment. Uh, you know, I eat ramen every day. I don't know. That's, that's my perception of it is like, if you're, if you've been freelancing for a long time, you're still freelancing. It just feels I don't know, for at least in Dallas, for me, that word feels like... Are you saying like compared <clears throat> to being like, say, a business owner and having a team? Or yeah, kind yeah. Of, or? I, like, I know it's not, I know it's not a bad thing. And right. I know that that's like, I, I have beliefs about the word that are not, in fact, you know, true or accurate. <laughs> but, but for me, I think when I look at sort of the, the timeline from like, when I started freelancing to now, um, you know, I have this like trajectory and I'm also very hard on myself with respect to that, but I have this trajectory that I want to, uh, try and like achieve and, um, and like where the weld days were, were very much about freelancing and struggling and, um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that like my future looks a little bit more like, um, you know, uh, a responsible business owner, I guess, but they can also be a freelancer. So, right. um, yeah, not dogging on the freelancers, just heads up. I, I still freelance. Um, but uh, yeah, so that freelance, um, the freelance life for me kind of started uh, after college. Um, I was coming out of school in 2010, graduated from the uh, University of Oklahoma. And, um, you know, the recession happened in 2008 and continued on and, um, you know, I graduated with a degree in architecture, uh, currently working on my license right now. And so uh, that for me um, was, it was tough because you're entering into a workforce that is still uh, reeling from a recession. Um, so when I graduated, uh, I, uh, I basically, um, I created a, this pamphlet 
version of a of a portfolio plus a resume plus uh, about me with photos and kind of this like narrative interplay, this dialogue, and I called it the free intern pamphlet. Um, basically, to make a very very long story short, a, uh, a mentor of mine. Um, uh, I called him up one day and said, Hey, I'm going to be applying to some jobs like banana Republic and like just some retail jobs, you know, um, just, just because I can't find anything with an architecture and, and the internship that I had before they weren't offering any jobs. And so, um, I sent him an email, asked if he'd be a reference and, uh, and he called me immediately and said, uh, don't do that. <laughs> he said, he said, uh, he said, what you need to do is look up your top, I think he said like three or five architecture firms that you'd want to work for and uh, go to them, walk in their front door unannounced and uh, introduce yourself and tell them that you'll work for free and see what happens. And I was like, and now, now having freelanced and, and you know, been a business owner for a while, I don't really agree with the idea of free work, but like at that time, there was a really necessary component, I think, to, to doing what he said. So I put together this pamphlet that uh, had within it um, all of you know, academia, resume, work, et cetera. Um, and I walked, I, I did some research. I walked uh, through, you know, gosh, 500 architecture websites. Um, you know, I didn't walk through them. I visited them on the interwebs. <laughs> virtual walkthrough. I did a virtual walkthrough of them. Uh, <laughs> well, but, you know, I was really surprised. None of them had really great websites. So there was like this automatic, like I could narrow down pretty much the one that I wanted to work for by whether or not technologically they were at least relevant. And by that, I mean they had a website that was not <clears throat> Flash or just straight HTML. Like they actually seem to care about that stuff. They Which is funny because I've talked, like I, I feel like the branding and that kind of stuff, like it plays such a big role in communicating who you are as a company and talking about that stuff. And it's interesting to hear, because I, I, like, I think as a consumer that it's really important because it's like your first foot forward or mm -hmm. how people are going to perceive you and see you. Whereas mm -hmm. if you have a good website, then that's like it kind of, paints a good picture of your business, but I never thought about that from the perspective of like a potential intern or somebody or like an employee vetting. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was, it was very strange to look through and, and, and we're talking 500 to 700 websites, you know, between the Dallas and Fort Worth architecture, you know, firm market, if you want to call it that. And it was crazy to, to just be like, Oh, nope, that one's not going to work. That one didn't load. That one didn't work. That one didn't work and go all the way down the list maybe to like the, the, you know, 30 or, uh, the 30 or 50, you know, that were like acceptable even just to move forward with. And then from that point I looked at, uh, you know, their about me page, um, you know, who, who they were as a firm, what they believed in, um, what they, you know, like the kind of work that of course they produced. And I mean, of course the work they produced was important to me. So that was the next thing. But then looking at who they were as people, what their mission was, was also important. I think I narrowed it down to like 10 firms and uh, I put together this uh, pamphlet, like I said, and, um, and printed off with their names printed on it. So they knew that it was tailored specifically to them. Uh, I went to uh, those firms. I had 10 pamphlets in hand. I was wearing a suit. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, I don't wear, like, I wear suits to, to weddings, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I put on a suit with, like, this yellow tie. It has to be a special was... occasion to pull a suit out. 
<laughs> I should should have a, should have had a boutonniere on. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, yeah. So I had these ten pamphlets. I was parked in Deep Ellum, and I was sitting there in the car, like, "This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I, sh- I don't like. What am I doing? I'm walking into this firm. I'm going through everything in my mind. You know, um, it's sort of like the modern equivalent of going after a project. There's a kind of boldness that you just you don't get to learn through lessons. You just have to try something and see what happens. It's trial by fire. Trial by, definitely. I, so I, I'm sitting in the car looking at the office. I'm just staring at it like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go in? Are you going to sit here and be a baby? What's going to happen? And uh, so I get out of the car with their, you know, tailored pamphlet, left the nine in the seat, thinking, okay, first one's a failure. Just keep pressing on after this. Go to the next nine, see what happens. And I... Uh, I walk inside the first person, you know, um, I remember Ryan was sitting or Andy, I'm sorry. Andy was sitting, uh, right there at the office. I didn't know he was Andy at the time. I didn't just know he was Andy. (laughs) Uh, but I walked in and I was like, Hey, um, uh, here I handed him the pamphlet. Cause I, I, how do you start? Hi, I'm Skyler. I like to work for free. You know, like, what do you say? You know, yeah, who do I give this thing to to talk to about free yeah. stuff? Yeah, this is a, this. I have this piece of paper. Do you want it? Like, I and I had my portfolio and my resume printed out and everything. If they were like ready to interview me, you know, um, but I wasn't really sure that that was the direction it was going to go. I just thought I'd hand it to them and they'd call me back or something. And so I walk and I go, Hey, um, I don't know if you guys are looking for anyone to like, you know, work for you or whatever, but. Uh, you know, here you go. And so I didn't want to say I'm free. So I just handed him the pamphlet where it says boldly at the top, free intern. And, uh, he goes, <laughs> he just sort of, he goes, uh, um, okay. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> and so he takes it and he stands up and I'm just sitting there in my suit, like looking at this office of people staring at me and I'm like, <laughs> what like, do I hey, do? Hey everybody. <laughs> yeah. What's up? Yeah. Hey, Hi. Uh... <laughs> Good office you got here. I don't know. So he walks back and then a guy named Dan, uh, Fennel, uh, you know, pops his head out and, uh, and it's like, hi, I'm Dan. (laughs) (laughs) And he walks out and, uh, shakes my hand, huge smile on his face. Cause of course I think at the time I didn't know this, he was, he was like drowning, you know, in work at the time. This office was Brent Brown's office, uh, Brown Architects. Whenever I was doing my research, he was like the top one I wanted to work for. Like I loved his office. I like I just had a good vibe about it, you know. And um, and at the time, I didn't know that he was also running a nonprofit out of the office as well as his architecture firm, which he was kind of um, phasing out of, basically, or or you know, kind of reducing the workload so he could focus on the nonprofit. <clears throat> And so, um, anyway, so Dan was, was kind of his unofficial partner or whatever. And, um, basically Dan hired me on the spot, uh, hired me quote unquote. Um, my, uh, first task was to go pick up a pack of Shiner and Lone Star, uh, for a, uh, critique that they were going to have of, uh, one of the projects that they had in the office. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was basically where, um, you know, I, I began the, the freelance life. It wasn't, it wasn't working really full time for anyone for pay. You know, I was hoping I would only do this for a few months while I got my footing. And it really, really turned out that it was that, I mean, I was, I was working for them 32 hours a week for free. And then within a month they were hiring me on for, um, specific jobs that they didn't necessarily want to pay someone full time for. Um, feel free to bounce off. So then from there, so 
I know, like, I know Skyler as a photographer. While I know he does architecture stuff, the majority of the work that I've seen from you is, like, photography stuff. So where, where did that come into play in the picture? And because, I mean, like, so you were there for a while and you started working. Um, I remember whenever we met, you were, uh, you were doing some architecture stuff and you'd, like, be around a bit and then you'd be, like, out because you were doing jobs and then you'd be around and not be doing as much as much architecture stuff. And it was kind of like, felt, I felt like at least to me, from my perspective, it was kind of like back and forth a little bit. So what's that kind of, what's all that been like? What's uh, that not been? much has changed, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I, it was 2008, two years before I graduated college that I, started to develop an interest in photography, just in general. Um, I took a, an intro to filmmaking one. Uh, I believe it was in 08, oh, no, was it 08 or 09? Um, it, no, it was, it was after the recession quite a bit. It was, it was, it was probably 2000, my 09 to 10 graduate, or yeah, my graduation year um, that, I, that I picked up uh, filmmaking one. Um, and, uh, I was nervous as hell, like, you know, getting this unbelievable Bolex camera, you know, 16 millimeter film cranking up the thing. I was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. I hadn't even picked up a digital, a digital camera at this point. So my first experience with photography was with a Bolex 16 millimeter, you know, crank <laughs> to get the film working, like study everything that has to do with, you know, light exposure, um, and, and everything in, in this old machine, um, which was invaluable by the way. I could, I could talk, have it like a completely separate talk just on that alone. The, 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 how invaluable it is to, to, uh, learn from something like that. Mm -hmm. But that was the, that laid the groundwork for photography. So I took this class, had a really good time. <clears throat> it was just super, super thrilling to me. And it was while I was finishing my architecture degree. Um, and so those kind of existed in tandem. I didn't really know if photography was going to like take off or do anything at that point. Um, I just kind of, I just kind of picked it up and was like, well, you know, or I picked up filmmaking and was like, oh, well, we'll see what happens here. So 2010 graduate and, um, Kind of around like 2011 or 12 was when I bought a digital camera. Um, so this was two years after I, I started like freelancing, basically. I freelanced as an, as an architecture intern um, well before I picked up a digital camera. Um, in fact, one of the um, original firms that was in that list of 10 that I talked about, mm -hmm. um, I... I, uh, I converted that free intern pamphlet to a cheap intern pamphlet, um, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is how I got the freelance job. So two or three months in, I, I, uh, I was just like, you know what, let's see if this works in a cheap realm. So instead of being free, I'll be cheap. At least they're paying me. Um, and I passed it out to the rest of the nine, you know, that were in that, in that, uh, that list. And, um, and so I think four or five hired me on. One of them couldn't hire me at the time, but then eventually offered me a full-time job. So 2011 to 12, basically, was when I started working full-time for this architecture firm. Uh, you know, I moved into a new place in North Dallas. And, uh, and then, yeah, I bought a, I was like, you know, let's just, 
let's just buy a camera and see what happens. I think I spent $800 or something, um, you know, on a, on a T3i with a, with a Sigma. It's a great starter kit. <laughs> Actually, it's a really. Start Rebel T2i was yeah. like my first yeah. one that I really started getting going on. Yeah. The Rebels are, are great. Uh, nifty 50. Yeah. Yeah. I got the 18 to 50. No, the nifty 50, the oh, 51.8. Yeah. I, I bought, I think I, I was like, I'm not getting this Canon stock lens. So I got the uh, Sigma. 18 to 55 or something, which is great. I mean, like I have, I still have, I have photos from that, that I'm like, like there's still some of my favorite photos they are precious to me. Um, so anyways, sorry, I'm not trying to like elongate the story too much, but, um, effectively I, uh, I just started shooting like my dogs, like the dog, you know, jet that was just in here. We'd go into the side yard and I would just like take pictures of him and be like, I feel ridiculous. This is so stupid. What am I doing? But I just kind of kept trying and people asked me to shoot just things that, you know, didn't pay and sounded kind of fun. So that's kind of where that started. And then, um, uh, long story short, I, I, I lost my job, the job that I had, um, uh, full time. And uh, I moved to Maryland for a year. And when I was there, uh, I, uh, there was a, um, a family who, uh, the, the wife was a wedding photographer. And so she, um, basically heard that I had a camera and wondered if I wanted a second shoot. And so she saw a lot of, a lot of, I guess, um, passion and desire in me to like, to continue, uh, uh, to shoot and to, and to just keep trying stuff. And so, um, and she also said, Hey, you need to upgrade, you know, your, your camera, um, so I upgraded my camera and started shooting with her a lot and she started paying me. And so that was kind of the intro into like, oh, I, maybe I can be a photographer. Maybe I can do this and, you know, make some money. Um, had you had any idea or thought of doing it professionally before you started shooting stuff with her up in Maryland? Uh, I think I want to say yes, but, um, I think I just knew that, okay, the extent of the yes to that question uh, was um, knowing that architecture could not be the only thing that I was going to do. Okay. And that had to do with the recession, that had to do with the job market. In 2006, I would have told you that I'd be at the same firm working, um, you know, the rest of my life to, you know, be top 40, under 40, making, you know, million bucks a year, working for a huge firm. I would, that's where I would have said in 2006. And they guaranteed me a job. They said, you have a job when you're out of college. So, so not, ha- not only not having a job when I was college, but being forced into a position where I was like, how the hell am I going to find work? Like, what's going to happen? Um, it, it, it totally just framed differently how I saw work creativity and how the world functions. There are no guarantees, you know, nothing is given to you and nothing is guaranteed. So work your ass off and, you know, and do your best and see what happens is kind of, and I was like, well, you know, if I did that, certainly I can at least try to make a living on my own with some freedom, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that, so I knew that maybe my best path into that was through photography uh, architecture and photography. I love especially because the two go hand in hand so much. They do. A lot of people don't think they do, but they really do. I, I could I could write books on like the difference between the two, but also the similarities between the two. I mean, there's there's the there's this technical aspect of photography. You have this. You're holding this machine that is 
wildly intricate, you know, and then you're, and then you have a building, which is a, a concoction of thousands of decisions and ideas, you know, that are, that are formulated to create a space that feels like, oh yeah, it's been here all along. This is so simple. If you see a really beautiful image, you, you're, you know, and it looks very easy to capture, it's probably uh, a lot that went into it. Yeah. I mean, just like a camera building's wildly intricate. Mm. Lots of stuff to them. But I mean, it's yeah. even, I didn't even think about it that way whenever I was saying that the two go hand in hand. I'm thinking more of like, you're designing buildings and you need great like photos of these buildings or whatever it is oh. like to be able to like, yep, I'm an architect. I know what kinds of photos we would be looking, you know, an architect would be looking for. So you would have potentially also be a great candidate to be an architectural photographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's funny cause our, I don't do a lot of architectural right. photography. Like, I mean, I don't think I've seen wants- any from you. Yeah. I, I have some of it on my old website. Uh, you know, I have a few projects and mostly ones that like architects I worked for would hire me for just because they knew I did photography and they knew I had an architecture eye. So they kind of like married the two in their mind. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, invariably I, I'm drawing the parallel between, uh, what, so there's an architect, uh, architect, uh, excuse me, I'm going to bubble in my throat in one second. I need any water. There's an, uh, an architect. He's, uh, Italian Renzo piano. And, um, I read this essay in college uh, by him, and uh, I think it was given to us as a handout in one of our classes. And um, he said that uh, there's this, the architect balances a knife edge between, oh, I think I'm gonna get it wrong, um, between art and science. Um, and so if if you are, you know, you, the architect is right on this line. He's not just fully artist because there's the technical side and he's not just a, he's not just an engineer because there's the artistic side. So he's constantly treading that line between being an artist and being a technician or, a, or someone with, um, you know, technical expertise in a field. Um, and I, and I think good, really good photographers, um, uh, believe and understand the same thing that they're holding this device in their hands and they have to understand that like if a cloud passes by and this is the image that I'm trying to get, what am I going to do with uh, f-stop, shutter speed, ISO, um, uh, I'm missing one. <laughs> that's about Yeah, for three. exposure, that's it, yeah. but then you'd have like focal length. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, your focal length or even just like understanding your lens, you know, depth of field, all of these things that you're trying to, to, to capture, you have to be able to do these really quick, loose calculations in your head to say, this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times you don't have to have that much of an exactitude, right? But, you know, if you're shooting a film, there are, there are exponentially more factors that go into that as well. So those who are good at... Uh, either of those things, I th- I think uh, photography or architecture, you know, understand that there is a marriage between art and science, and and to me, there's an infinite parallel between both of those. So yeah, so then you okay, so you're up in Maryland, mm-hmm. and you're doing photography stuff with your friend, mm-hmm. doing the wedding stuff. What happened after that? <laughs> and then I met her. No. <laughs> um, oh, well, quick question. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that. The architecture firm, there was one that said they didn't have the money to pay you, Mm -hmm. but then they were going to, but then like down the road, they ended up hiring you Mm -hmm. for stuff. Mm -hmm. First off, how long was the time, the gap of time between them saying, we don't have the money to hire you and them hiring you? Is it like 
a month? Is it like a oh, year? Um, well, it's hard to say. <clears throat> I think, I think maybe within a month or a month and a half. Okay. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't terribly long. Okay. Had you been like keeping like contact with them through that or is it something I was working like, out of their office. Okay. I was, I was, so, so you were there that, doing stuff mm-hmm. with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, the point wasn't for me that I would, um, they'd, I, they'd give me some tasks and then I'd go home. The idea was that I would be enveloped in the office. The whole purpose of, of the whole reason for my going into those places, you know, based on what my mentor said was that it wasn't just about the work. It was about your presence in the place because the moment that they need someone, they know exactly who to go to because you're already there. Yep. Frame of mind being right, being front of mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. They don't even have to think about it. They're just like, Hey, is they're going to go yeah. with the one that's there whenever they need it? Yeah. We need uh, this done. Ask Skylar, ask Skylar, ask Skylar. It became, and I was like, all right, I'll do it. Like no problem. Eventually it became, something where there was money for a project that they could afford to hire me on. And I think one of my first projects that I submitted an, an estimate for <laughs> was a, uh, was to build, um, some, uh, cabinetry <clears throat> in, uh, this, uh, very wealthy families, um, very prominent wealthy Dallas family that you would know if I said it, uh, their, their basement, uh, basically their laundry room, basement laundry room. <laughs> I mean, it was basically Ikea, but it was huge. There's a lot of factors. Like it took, it took me a lot to, to get it done. And then I had to install their pantry as well. So I, I think you got I did, to design and install. Well, I didn't really design. I mean, you know, there is like, go pick it up from Ikea, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bring it back. I don't want to over glorify this first job. Um, but to me it was significant because I was like, Oh, I think that'll be, uh, uh, $1,500. You know what I mean? And it was, and, uh, and Dan was the guy who he's like, yep, sounds great. And I was like, wait, how long is this going to take me? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so he's like, like, got you good fucker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got you now. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, uh, okay, well, um, so I get there, you know, I get all the stuff and, and, uh, and I bring it in and, uh, um, stir getting set up. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, it took me it took me like weeks. <laughs> it's just in retrospect. I was like, what the hell? Um, it's but, a bad decision. Yeah. Bad but, choice. but I mean, all that to say, uh, I mean, the thing about that is so, okay. I made a little bit of money, like, you know, barely any money on that project. But the important takeaway is that, uh, one, obviously right place, right time, or rather putting yourself in the right place when you can, getting hired for something by the person who originally, you know, met you and saw some potential in you. And then, um, and then going and doing that job. And that job really was a, um, like I, I know the person to this day whose house, you know, house that I, I worked on, like they knew me because the, the story of like free intern that carried into like paid intern that carried into the guy who installed cabinetry, that narrative like played through all the way to, um, I mean, a full-time job, uh, two and a half years ago that I, I worked full-time for that. The very first place I walked into, uh, again. So that's cool. Do you, um, do you still have any of those pamphlets or at least like images of them that we oh, could, yeah. could share? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So if y'all go check out show notes, com slash freelance Friday or wherever you find this podcast, we'll have some links so you can see what these pamphlets look like. They're pretty cool. Uh, okay. So Maryland, you're in Maryland, Maryland shooting photo stuff and mm-hmm. doing wedding stuff. 
Yeah. You um, pick up and dive back in from there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in Maryland, right? Uh, it's a Friday night. <laughs> well, I, I think um, <clears throat> if I could backtrack just a second to go to why I was in Maryland. Yeah. That's, that I think is also a very important um, uh, thing to mention. Um, I, I didn't just like, oh, I lost my job and I moved to Maryland. Uh, like it wasn't just kind of, you know, A to B like that. Uh, I was fired from my job. That's an important thing for all us freelancers to know that you will get removed from, <laughs> from your job. It can happen. Yeah. <clears throat> and I now have a lot of respect for people when they're like, oh, yeah, I've been fired from this and fired. I'm like, dude, right on. Like, we're in a little club, you know, high five. Um, but uh, no, I, and it wasn't intentional. I wasn't trying to get fired. But basically, I was working for, for, a, for a firm. And, um, and I mean, we, we'd probably like disagree on some of the details here, but but as I remember it, um, they were not willing to give me a review after uh, 12 months. They gave me a review after three months, and then the year after they wouldn't give me, they were like, no, we're not going to tell you what you're doing wrong or right, and we're not going to pay you anymore. And I was like, okay, <clears throat> look, I like working here, so at least maybe I can take some, some work on the side. So again, full-time, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, or actually, let's be real, probably 40 to 60 hours a week full-time, um, netting $25,000 a year. Like I was making, Jeez. yeah, it's not much. Yeah, I know. And I had, I had, um, offers from the place that I interned in 2006, seven, eight for like 43 at the time. So for a young, a young architect, uh, you know, architectural designer intern, that difference is huge. I mean, almost $20,000 difference in salary. It's big. Which is big. And so, like and I, and I was just like, I'm, I don't, I, it's not that I said I didn't want that job. It was that I just, I saw a lot of value in working on smaller projects with a smaller team, even though I wasn't making more, enough, you know, a lot of money basically. So I chose to suffer because I could, I didn't have kids. I had a dog. Yeah. You're looking at longevity. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you're just like, whatever, let's just Being roll with this. So, um, I, I took some other work, uh, and, um, some side work with another architect and, uh, um, basically this firm was working on a project where they wanted me to sign an NDA. Um, and the NDA wasn't like, it, 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 we don't have to get into the legal, you know, bullshit about it, but basically, um, I'm not supposed to discuss this project with anybody. And to me, I was like, oh yeah, whatever, no big deal. Like, don't talk about it with your mom. Don't talk about it with, you know, whatever. But, but I guess it didn't really ring in my mind. Like, don't talk about it with your employer. Um, but the firm had told me, oh, hey, you can work on you can work on this project at the, uh, you can work on whatever projects at the office that you want. Use the computers, just, you know, we're not going to give you a raise. At least we could like let you use the machines. So I did that and I left, um, one of the project files like on the computer and I guess somehow they came across it and saw the, the project. And to me, I didn't think I wasn't like trying to hide anything from them. I was just like, oh yeah, I probably should have like kept it on my hard drive, whatever. Uh, but pretty much within about, <clears throat> Um, I don't know, within a few days, it was like a Friday, I think, or a Thursday, they sat me down and said, uh, pulled me into the conference room and, uh, said, uh, that there was like this breach of ethics and that I, um, was, uh, I basically was fired at that point. Like when that conversation was done, whatever personal belongings I had, leave the office. 
which is which is not like a you know there's no severance there's no anything there's no formality yeah. set in place. So you were okay. <clears throat> so just to make sure I've got the story straight, mm-hmm. you were working full time for an architecture firm, mm-hmm. and you were doing freelance work for another firm, and with that side firm you had an NDA. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, for that specific project, right? For that yeah. project, yeah, yeah. and then the main firm you were looking at, you were working for, found that project on their computer, mm-hmm. and basically said being a breach of ethics. I'm guessing, assuming because they would know that there would be some sort of NDA in place or some sort of like, hey, we shouldn't be able to see this project file because this is an hour, hour deal, and so then maybe would they being like concerned that something like that would happen with their projects? Yeah, I mean, it. The thing is, I'm. I think that I even. I think that I mentioned to them, uh, to to the principal of the of the firm that I was working for full time, that um, uh, I was working on a project that was um, that you know there was I didn't I don't know if I said NDA but I just said like I'm not supposed to talk about right. it I don't remember what those of, the exact conversation and for those of the that don't know what an NDA is it's a non disclosure agreement which basically says you won't disclose information about whatever you're agreeing not to disclose information about um, lest there be legal ramifications yeah you're not supposed to talk about whatever we're about to share with you I mean yeah, yeah that's basically yeah I mean to me in retrospect looking at the firm that I, you know, was at, um, like, I, I don't know that I would have fired me so aggressively, <laughs> but I, but I probably would have considered, you know, looking at it as a business owner now, I would be like, oh, uh, you know, yeah, you know, you're with us full time. This project should have been discussed before you sign anything. So, you know, as I look back, I'm kind of, I'm thinking, you know, um, I should have done a, a, fu- a few things differently and I don't mean hit it better. You know, I was disappointed that I wasn't going to get any more money or even a review, but I also, you know, it, with a little bit of reflection, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I didn't handle that, you know, very well professionally. I was just like, I need more money so I can buy groceries. Right. You know? And so, and so I didn't really know if I was doing anything wrong. Um, and it wasn't, you know. yeah, it wasn't like you were doing anything malicious. You no, just, and alert, this it's part of the learning the, process, you know, you learn through the failures. Yeah. And the, and the other, and the other firm, uh, was, was, it was a very small firm. Like we're talking one guy, one or two, one or two people. They were like chasing a project. It wasn't even a project that like they had in the bag. This was a project that they were trying to get. So there was also this element of like, I, you know, potentially, you know, maybe the firm that I was working with could have gotten the project. So yeah, a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, I don't know what their mindset was going into it. And I don't want to pretend and I don't, and I'm, I'm certainly not here to say that they, um, they like, you know, ousted me wrongfully or anything like that. Because in, in retrospect, they had a reason for doing what they did. And, and, and I've actually, I've seen them since I, I ran into them, um, you know, during a, um, during this event in Dallas, uh, and um, I saw both of the, the partners kind of at different times, and like it was fine. Like it was just like water under the bridge. How are you? Good. Yeah. Good to see you. You, you know. guys remember that time I did that <laughs> yeah. thing? I was I such an idiot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so I mean you know things do come back around. It took years to get to that point. I was angry for a while, <clears throat> but but having lost my job, being completely disoriented. This is two thousand and. Um, 12, sometime between 12 and 13, um, Dan Fennell, the guy that hired me as a free intern, um, I reached out to him. I reached out to my mentor. I reached out to another mentor, like just a bunch of people, anyone who I could, who I could, you know, uh, 
who I knew, who I trusted, I could get my hands on. I said, what do I do? I've never been in this situation. So I was able to go back to some of the firms that I'd worked at as a freelancer in between 2010 to 12 and get some work that held me over. Um, so, so again, that first pamphlet teed me up to, uh, to getting fired <laughs> and having some, uh, some more projects to work on. So, um, but anyways, to, to get back to what you're, um, what you were asking, um, I was, there was a real crisis of self at this point, uh, where I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, I've just got fired. I've never been in this position before, um, just a whole bunch of stuff was going through my mind and I didn't even want to be in Dallas. I was like, screw this place. You know, <laughs> this city has nothing to offer me. Da, da, da. I was really angry and, and I was really frustrated. I was very selfish about it all too. I was, I, I wasn't looking at what I could offer the city. I was looking at what it could give me. And so that, that didn't frame, uh, me up very well. Um, you know, for, uh, I think being a, um, a selfless architect. It was just sort of like, I'm mad, you know? Um, so, uh, my roommate, um, at the time, uh, he and another friend of mine, we all hung out once and my other friend, not my roommate, uh, went and did this, uh, fellowship program. I mean, he's like super smart guy. Name's Peyton. Um, Peyton is, is one of my dearest friends and he's, brilliant. And, uh, he went to this program in Maryland, uh, called TFA and it's not teach for America. It's, it was, uh, it's not, it's no longer a program, but it was called the Trinity forum Academy. And so Peyton did this for a year. Basically it's a fully paid fellowship, uh, that you go and you live on the Eastern shore, like literally on the Chesapeake Bay for a year. And Sounds you, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. It was so bad. You're living with, uh, it's like six guys, six girls. It's kind of like this, it's just a fellowship program, you know, you live, yeah. work, study on the coast. It was incredible. Um, so he went and did that. And then he told my roommate at the time, Trey, about it. He said, hey, you know, Trey, if uh, you want to, uh, if you want to do this, like there's a, basically a, an opening. Um, you know, one of the guys dropped out to go to med school. And so Peyton reached out to me to reach out to Trey and say, hey, this is available. But this is around the time that I'm getting fired from my job. <laughs> now, this is, this is actually months after I actually got fired from my job. Uh, I said, well, I'll let Trey know, but like, I think I might be kind of interested <laughs> in doing this. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll connect you. And, and the program starts in like three weeks, three or four weeks. Like we're talking, I hadn't applied yet and it began in less than four weeks. So <clears throat> Peyton made the introduction. I applied, I wrote the essays, uh, I interviewed three different times and then in two weeks time, I sold my car. I found a, which broke my heart, temporary home for my pups. Um, people I trusted, they were great right. for nine or 10 months. And, uh, and then, um, sold a bunch of my stuff, checked off a bunch of things off the list and moved to Maryland. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. So let's get this done. And, um, uh, oh, I, I forgot the part where I did get accepted. <laughs> so you got accepted. I, I did get accepted. And then I, and then I moved. And so <laughs> I basically dropped everything and was like, this is, we need a, we need a shift of things here. So I moved to Maryland to get, not only get away from Dallas, but to reframe my thinking about a lot of things and to engage in this program. I mean, the whole thing was completely paid for. So I had like one year of, of being able to, uh, live and work among, 
um, and, and study among, um, actually I think half of them were Ivy league. So it was just, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of pressure for me. Um, and intellectually I, I struggled a lot at that time with whether or not I was like smart enough to be among people like that. It's a, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, no, I, I'm tracking with you. It can yeah. be, it can be hard to be in that situation if you're not secure enough or understanding that you're like worth it to be there. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I struggled with, uh, insecurity about, um, about intellect for a while. For some reason there was just something where I was like, Oh, these people are Ivy. So they're smarter. I'm, you know, public school. So I'm not. And that nine, nine months there, nine to 12 months there was, uh, completely, completely removed that. Um, I have a whole new, I have a whole new like list of, uh, you know, things now that I struggle with, not necessarily intellect. Um, but, but I, when I got there, I was, I was the person who did architecture and then who did photography. And then there were another 11 people who one like went to Columbia to study, you know, the history of ideas. One was a, uh, an engineer for Lockheed Martin, you know, and who went to, you know, university of Maryland. And then there's this, uh, uh, a writer, singer songwriter who went to university of Pennsylvania, like all, we were so diverse and so different in our backgrounds, creatively, professionally, that, um, you know, I, I could, there was nothing to compare against because, because when, when something architectural came up, <laughs> of course, something photographically came up, they came to me. You're the man. Yeah. And if something else came up, I go to them and then we'd all just engage with each other in a way that was of mutual respect. And after engaging in a lot of conversation and, and, and community with these people for, for nine months, you realize like, like, oh my gosh, I have been constructing this belief about myself for so long. That's a false narrative. So, yeah. So then from that, so then from that, so uh, yeah, and then the whole time that like during that time, you're still, you're shooting with your friend up there, right? Um, so yes, uh, Karina uh -huh. was her name. Um, we had host families. So there were families that lived on the Eastern shore. Um, generally speaking, <clears throat> you know, these, uh, really awesome, super fun, wealthy people who were, who were like, we'll sponsor, we'll sponsor a child. <laughs> and so, uh, like my host family was incredible. They, they, um, uh, Karina wasn't my host family, but like, um, that was actually Caleb's one of the other guys in the group. Um, and, uh, uh, but my host family would like go out one morning and like, like on a boat with a fisherman and like catch oysters and bring them back and then prepare them for myself and like a friend or whatever. And we would have oysters, two humongous pans of oysters, Rockefeller that they caught from like that morning from the Chesapeake Bay that morning. Sheesh. <laughs> and that was the appetizer. <laughs> and then they would just drink and eat and drink and eat and they'd ask questions. They were wonderful. It was, it was so much fun. It was like a really sweet time in my life. Um, uh, but that was, that's like sort of how host families worked. And then the, the Dixons, um, Karina and Daryl were, uh, a host family for, uh, one of the other guys, Caleb. And, um, but Caleb and I were super close and, um, and then the Dixons and I were super close. So anytime Caleb would, you know, do something like I might go with him or like the Dixons would invite me, you know, and, and a group of people for something else. 
And so Karina, I think that's how she discovered I was shooting and said, well, I need a second shooter for these weddings. And I mean, we're, you know, Maryland weddings are like the kinds that you see on, um, uh, what's the, what's the movie not knocked up? Um, uh, wedding crashers. Okay. <laughs> that's literally like the politicians <laughs> with the, you know, we're, you know, you're, you're literally, you're in like this, like, uh, you know, this breeding ground of, of like fine weddings. So she had, she had like this rocking business. Uh, and, um, and so she had me to shoot, you know, some of these, some of these just like crazy weddings. Um, and so it, it, it boosted my confidence a lot with respect to photography. Cause I was kind of still in that intellectual struggle mindset of like, am I any good? Like, will I succeed? Nah, 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 you know? And so I just started shooting and doing what I enjoyed. And she was like, uh, Hey, these are really good. Um, I'm going to start paying you. And I also think that you should upgrade your equipment <laughs> because we need you to get a full frame camera with, you know, a better lens. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay. <clears throat> so I upgraded my camera to a, you know, a Mark II from a T3i to a Mark II. And, um, and that's a camera that I've been, that I, I used from that point up until, you know, six months ago when I bought a Mark four. So, you know, that was at least from an equipment standpoint where it, where it uh, translated, but that, but more important than, you know, just equipment, it was this, uh, the beginning of, of believing that like what I was doing, um, not only had value, but could, you know, help me make money and fulfill another creative, uh, you know, avenue for me that, um, I wanted to have. <coughs> Excuse me. So then once you're there doing that, Let's, I guess, bring it back to Dallas. You come back, you end up back in Dallas. I'm guessing mm -hmm. what you finished out the year there doing the program, the fellowship program, mm -hmm. and you come back after the fellowship program is over? Yeah. The program in Maryland ended in uh, um, May, late May of 2013. So six years ago. Um, yeah, it feels like, feels like a lot longer. Um, it's also a very long time. Six years. That was, a, that was a good time in my life. So I'm now sitting here thinking, wow, it's been six years. I know. <clears throat> it's That's crazy. about the time we met. Well, and, and that was, so yeah, and, and good segue. Uh, um, I, uh, yeah, I found Weld pretty much right after that. Not pretty much right after that, I, but pretty close. Uh, I uh, moved back from Maryland. Um, everyone who I was in the program with thought moving back to Dallas was a terrible idea. And I kind of agree, but not really. <laughs> uh, I, they didn't, they knew what Dallas was to me when I had left it last. Right. They just knew it from, they knew Dallas from your perspective of Dallas. Right. Right. They, which at that time was, I fucking hate this place. There's nothing yeah. here for me. What am yeah. I doing here? Yeah. Which it, I get, cause I was there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It, <clears throat> it, um, it didn't make sense that the place that, you know, I lost my job. I, you know, it carries a different kind of weight. You know, they yeah. don't want to see me in that environment, right? right? They think that, and I, I think I, I think I agree with them to, to an extent, uh, that environment was not the best thing for me. Um, but to me, Dallas wasn't, so much um, a place that like <clears throat> I just couldn't go back to. Dallas symbolized a place where I was never content. 
And the thing with a lot of my peers that I noticed was that they would just move to a city for no reason. And I I respect them for that. It's their decision, their prerogative. But for me, uh, making that observation, I thought, like, I see my friends who, they're like, I'm moving to New York, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and you're like, why? And they're like, oh, I, don't, I just like, I don't know. It's just like Dallas is just not the place for me. And you're just like, okay, like there's no real reason that you're doing this. You're just doing it. And yeah, it's like, like, okay, so what is the reason? So why, what is the reason? And what, then what is it that Dallas isn't that you need that will make it the place for you? Like, oh, this absolutely, is Absolutely, absolutely. Like what, what is it that you're missing that you need? And, and I never, I didn't respect it. I didn't respect it because to me, it just was like, tell me why. Like, it's not that I love Dallas, you know, you know, unbelievably that, you know, or so much more than you, how dare you, you know, reject our city. It's just like, but why, why are you moving? Like give me a, give me quantifiable, give me reasons. And then, and then a year later, what happens? They're back in Dallas because they're like, oh, it's just really expensive. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I could have told you that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, and then, you know, now, and like now living in the suburbs and having children, you know, and you're like, you're like, okay, (laughs) not that that's not what I want. Um, so, uh, so Dallas, Dallas was this, um, was this place for me that I was never content. And to me, it didn't make sense that I would move to a new city because I wasn't content. And so just to move to New York or to move to Seattle or to move to L.A. or whatever, to me, meant that I would be trying to find hope in whatever city that I went to versus having a reason to do it. I was no better than my peer who wanted to move to New York if I was living in Maryland and wanted to move to Seattle wherever choose insert city. Right. Um, so I, I, I was like, I know that you guys don't necessarily agree with me going back, but, uh, to me, it's very important that I learn to be content in a place that I was never content. And the moment that that happens, um, is when I think I'll be ready to move to another city because I won't be looking for it to fulfill me. I won't be looking to the city to give me something. I will be looking to the city to be just the place where I'm at, that I'm doing the thing that I Mm want to do. So, um, long way of saying I moved back to Dallas somewhat reluctantly, but also knowing that, because remember I wasn't content yet in Dallas to me, I was moving back to the place where I was not content. So you're like coming to fight your demons. I was coming back to be like, all right, Dallas, let's do this. And, um, so I started freelancing. Uh, I think another, someone connected me with an architect or they reached out to me to do freelance work. And I started working pretty consistently for, um, uh, for a, uh, another architect, uh, in town, this is 2014. So, um, I was like, I was like working out of my, uh, my bedroom, um, basically in my, in my house, I had like my desk set up next to my bed and, and I was attempting this like freelance lifestyle out of my bedroom, which, to any freelancers listening right now, terrible idea. It's you will, you will fluctuate between two things. What is in the refrigerator? And if I take a nap, it'll make me more productive. (laughs) 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 That, or you'd be like me where it's like, 
you wake up and the first thing you think about is work because you see your computer and you can't stop thinking about work because it's always the desk and your workspace is always right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like no different than like being in architecture school and you try and set up a cot underneath your desk. You're like laying on your back, looking up at the place where you do all of your work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, this, that's a good, and then you that's enter a good into analogy. this vicious spiral of like self-loathing <laughs> and then you don't sleep at all. Why can I never stop thinking about work? I just want to break. <laughs> yeah, I just want to sleep. And it's oh, like, shit, I got to export that stuff. Gum underneath your desk. That's why. Um, <laughs> so sleeping, sleeping in the place where you have your desk is a terrible idea. Um, yeah, you got to create separate spaces. Yeah. If you, if you're fortunate enough to have some like two bedroom apartment, which you probably aren't, if you're freelancing, um, move your desk in there or find a place like a co-working space, front the money, because I promise you like the difference. It's like, if you're in your, if you're in your bedroom and you're working and you like are not productive and you're not getting anything done, you're not making, um, you're not making any money at all. Right. But if you are working for a, uh, if you're working for or working in a, uh, location, uh, where there are other people working, then you're actually getting some things done. I, I promise you, you will make your money back enough to pay for Absolutely. that desk space. Well, and, 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 I've heard the argument before, well, no, it's too expensive. I just go to coffee shops. I'm just going to go do that. And it's like, dude, you're going to, okay, you're going to buy a coffee. You're probably going to buy a couple of coffees. You're Mm -hmm. probably going to buy something to eat. You're spending 10 or 20 bucks right there. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. go to a co-working space, it's going to be probably that much or less a day. And you're Mm going to get the coffee and you're going to get the other stuff. And plus just having, having a place that you go to that tells your brain I'm at work and to have that rhythm and consistency is really where you start to see productivity start to take an upswing mm-hmm. because otherwise you're being very reactive to things and you end up working on all of the stuff that's like urgent, very important and very urgent. I think it's I'm trying to remember which book it is. I think it's, I think it's, um, in the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, Stephen Covey, he talks about these like four different quadrants. You've got, things that are urgent and important. You've got things that are not, or you got things that are important and urgent, things that are important and not urgent, things that are not important and are urgent and things that are not important and that are not urgent. And that basically you really want to spend, ideally you spend most of your time in that sector that's like working on things that are important but not urgent because it allows you to like really think things through and 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 be, um just do a good job with stuff and, and, and keep your head on straight basically. Because if you spend all of your time working on things that are important and urgent, you're always like frantically chasing and running after things. So then whenever you get burnt out, you kind of resort down to the not urgent and not important things, which is like sitting on the couch watching Netflix, which is Mm -hmm. why from my experience being like freelance stuff, it was like, I would go, go, go all the time. Mm -hmm and just kind of like be reactive and try to get everything done and then just be like, oh, dude, I can't take this anymore and I just mm-hmm. want to go sit and play Xbox mm-hmm. or I just mm-hmm. want to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so having that like office space and having that like dedicated place where you're basically saying, I'm going into work allows to be a little bit more forward thinking and planned out and structured so that you can spend more of your time mm-hmm. not focused on all the whirlwind things because the whirlwind mm-hmm. stuff is always mm-hmm. going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that um, 
a lot of it has to do with, I think, reframing your mind about um, what an expense is and what it means to you. Uh, financial expense, that is. Um, you know, we see a $200 membership to a co-working space. And in our minds, we think, oh my God, well, my car is 300, 400 a month. You know what I mean? Um, I can't, like, just to go sit at a desk, I'll just go to a Starbucks. Um, and back to your point, I mean, yeah, you're going to end up spending money out. You're already next to a restaurant. Might as well get some, might as well get a sandwich. Okay, bounce to your next coffee shop. That's $8 probably. Before you know it, you spent 30 or 40 bucks that day. You know, um, that plus, day, not that month. Right. <laughs> plus, plus the gas and the time and your mind, it's, it's a penny wise pound foolish thing. You, you're like, Oh, well, I mean, it was just like 20 or 30 bucks. I mean, if I was going to go to co-working space, it's $25 and it's like, but I got a sandwich also. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, but the, but the difference is you, you're putting yourself in a position to be around people who are doing similar things, who are struggling in the same way. Maybe you don't know who are, uh, who need, let's say you're, you're an accountant and you don't want to work for the man. Well, you being a freelance accountant, there's a good chance that someone that you're working next to is going to need an accountant. And, you know, before you know it, uh, two to three hours of work for one person has covered plus some, you know, your membership for being there. So, <clears throat> you know, when we, when you and I met, I, I joined Weld, uh, as a kind of as a result of, of working in my, uh, my bedroom, <laughs> like I was just like, I, like, I think I woke up from a nap or some, some stupid shit. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of work to get done. I was stressed cause it had to be done that day. And I was, you know, in, in nor, you know, normal fashion on Instagram. And, uh, and I came across weld and, um, and I'm, you've talked about weld I'm sure before. Um, but you know, weld is, it was, well, it still exists in Nashville, but in Dallas, um, it was a co-working space, basically, even though I think everyone's hesitant to call it co-working because it was really just a bunch of uh, filmmakers, uh, photographers, creatives who were working in this space. Um, and it was really before co-working, the idea of co-working even, you know, yeah. started to it take off. It was in the forefront of that. <clears throat> it was. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I saw like, you know, this Instagram video that Jordan Lessig made, um, of like these like heads popping up and, um, you know, uh, uh, popping up from the bottom of the screen. And it was like 20 or 30 different people. And I just remember the vibe being like, Oh my God, what is this weld thing? So, you know, and actually what's funny, um, uh, someone at the end popped up with like a big pink mustache and the big pink mustache is of course lift lift and lift, uh, started in, um, uh, the Weld Conference Room yeah, in Dallas. Lift, lift Dallas. Lift, da lift Dallas began out of, um, out of a conference room at Weld. In fact, I was that's like I still know some of the people who started it, and I met the founder too. That the D Dallas Morning News was doing an article on him. Actually, around the time I was freelancing, I signed up to be a driver for Lyft. Me too. <laughs> did you really? Yes. Guess how many times I drove. Three. Two. <laughs> Two. Yeah, I think I did it like four or five times. And then that yeah. was one time I sat in Uptown on a Friday night at 1045 or 11. I waited 45 minutes and didn't get a passenger. And I was like, fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. Well, After of course, now, now it would be the opposite. You'd be driving endlessly and not making a dime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, they were really sweet people. It's just not for me. I, I think I drove Esther, uh, Esther man, uh, at the time Havens to the, uh, airport twice. <laughs> 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 different times. She, she, she's like, Hey, I'm going to, I need to ride to the 
airport, turn on Lyft. And I was like, okay. And so I took her advice. <laughs> and so I was like, this isn't for me. I mean, another thing too, is if you're, if you're tempted to go like a different route beyond what you're doing, like just know that <clears throat> if you're sitting in the car, you're not doing other things that you should be doing toward your business. So my, I couldn't, I couldn't justify sitting in my car, even if it was to make like $3. Uh, so anyways, um, tangent. Um, so yeah, Lyft started out of there. Um, so I started weld, I started at weld and, um, and then just immediately after applying and, and then, um, I don't want to say getting accepted cause it's not like that, but it kind of was, yeah, I mean, it was an application. It was definitely a vetting process. It was, it was a vetting a, process. A, yeah. A very specifically built a curated community. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so after, after, you know, diving in and, and being around these people, I was like, this is invaluable. And I mean, at the time, this is 2013, uh, yeah, yeah. Late 2013, actually. Uh, I want to say September of 2013. So I was, I Sounds was about right. working out of my, my bedroom for a few months before I was like, I'm going to lose my mind if I, <laughs> if I do this. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, uh, and at the time that was, you know, $400 a month for a membership. Yeah. So it was twice what the market was for any other co and there were only one or two other co-working spaces in town. Um, I, but maybe, I don't think we work was even in no, Dallas. Yet. Not even, uh, not con, even the common thought. desk, I think was the only other one that was available. Yeah. Common desk and deep uh, Yeah. I think that was it. Um, maybe spry rocket. Is that a co-working spry, space? Spry rocket actually came before weld. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that was a, an architect that started that actually. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, that, um, yeah. So weld, where were we? But you joined. Weld, yeah, later. I joined. Oh, oh, 400 a month. Yeah. So it was, it was twice what you would be paying if you went somewhere else, but we also had access to a photo studio. Full cyclorama, <clears throat> yeah. three, two, two, two psychs. <clears throat> and, a, and a cyclorama to, to, uh, ye lay people out there is whenever you walk into a photo studio and you see that big curvy wall that's painted white or green or whatever, uh, that's that wall that creates a seamless background. That's a psych. Cyclorama. Psych is short we're not, for cyclorama. We're not just like saying psych like a joke. <laughs> also, you might have uh, you might hear it call, be called an infinity wall. Infinity wall. The way the light reflects off of it, it, when it's lit properly, it makes it look like the background is infinite. Yeah. Anyway, if it's dark, it's very confusing. You think you're gonna yeah. like, you don't know where you're going. I don't know where the wall is. Yeah. Um, so that we had like two full studios that were like at our disposal covered in our membership, which no other space offered anywhere. Yeah, you, if you went somewhere else, you're looking at 700 bucks a day yeah. at least probably to rent oh, yeah. a studio space. Seven, seven to 700 to a thousand a day just to rent a studio. And you're looking at $400 a month for a membership. Plus all you got to do is like make sure you book it online and then you get access to the studio. And now to uh, a huge shout out to uh, Sir Austin Mann um, who began um, Weld. Um, uh, Austin saw this um, vision of what, uh, I, I think more clearly than anybody who was, who was trying to start up a co-working space of any type. Yeah. He saw that like creatives needed a space to create. And they needed it that, that uh, once they were there together, they would do it better together. So Weld's kind of um, uh, <clears throat> motto was we create better together, um, which is true. We don't create better separately. And I think a, you walk into a, all it takes is walking into a WeWork or not to dog WeWork, I actually like WeWork, but um, walking into any, any co-working space now, you, you kind of just are like, well, 
lot of people in glass boxes, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people just kind of sitting around, not talking to each other. What's the deal here? Why aren't we, you know, communicating, but you walk into weld and you're like, Oh my God, are you all best friends? There are 200 people in this room. And yes, we were. <laughs> and, and at the time, and really we were, that's how Casey and I know each other. That's how, you know, uh, Doug and Kelsey who are here at wax space know each other. Like we all, and there's a bunch of people here from weld. Like we all still exist in this, in, in, in this, uh, in this city as creatives because of that, um, belief, uh, that, you know, we, we do create better together. And, um, and so, yeah, Weld, Weld was a, a very precious, precious time for me. It made it very hard for me whenever it went away Same. in Dallas. It took me about a year to really put my finger on why I felt the way I did before I was like, man, I did not realize how big of, a, of an impact that had in my life. Because that was like where I started freelancing. Oh, yeah. I was in college and I dropped out the end of my, the spring 2013 semester and joined Weld. Mm-hmm. that like it was like May or June so just a few months before you were there mm-hmm. and I was just like well I'm gonna dive in and mm-hmm. see if I can make a go at this yeah and yeah here we are six years later totally I mean that it was yeah it 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 shifts your mind about how creativity work productivity um community exists and happens uh day to day. Um, I mean, just being around where you see other people working and getting it, you're like, Oh hell no, I'm not going to let them sit over there and be grinding and working and getting stuff done. And then mm-hmm. me just sit over here messing around. Well, uh, also what's important to, to remember is that like the, the challenge for you and me is that, and, and any other creative or uh, any freelancers listening to this, um, you know, your mind is, is, uh, has been tailored effectively to believe that you're supposed to graduate and get a nine to five. Like you're supposed to finish the work that you're doing in college or whatever, and then go find a job. And, and a lot of that is a result of, you know, our parents and and upbringing and all of these other things. Right. But we are like, we are wired to believe that, you know, almost to feel a little bit off or wrong if we're pursuing a creative endeavor of, of any type. Um, you know, or, uh, well, it's just a different shift in culture. So I, the way I kind of see it, if you look back at, at, at our like parents' generation and where they came from and the generation preceding that you got these people coming out of the, you know, the great depression. And so for them, it's like, I got to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. I got to be able to put food on the table. And so I need something that's consistent and predictable that I can do. And I need work. And so then it's just like, well, you work to provide for your family. So then the next generation, our parents is like, you go to school, you get a job, Mm -hmm. you go work and you do this nine to five thing because Mm -hmm. it's like something that's in place. Mm -hmm. And there's not just, it's not, um, as readily available or, or possible, I guess, um, to the every man to just like go out and start a business and do that. I feel like it's, it, it made more sense to go get that job and do that. Whereas nowadays it's kind of evolved a little bit more to where, especially with the advent of digital age and the information age that you can really start your own business and you can do a lot of this stuff yourself. And, uh, just the kind of mindset has changed a little bit. And so I, I think what we're seeing is kind of that clash of, um, two different worlds between the generations and, and having to kind of like figure it out for ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that people are just like 
I want to quit my job and do what I'm passionate about. <laughs> like, uh, I don't think there's any, there's, there's a reason that places like WeWork are, are exploding with offices everywhere because people are, are um, hungry to finally do what they're real. They, they want to do. Yeah, they're realizing that they can actually make a living and eat doing yeah. the thing that they're passionate about. Now, I, th- I think I also want to be like very, um, uh, very careful to, uh, to say that, um, you know, this idea of like, you know, do what you're passionate about, do what you're meant to do. Like, you know, it's a, it's an easy like spiral to get into that you deserve anything. Yeah, it is. So I want to like, I want to be cautious to say like, yeah, just get out there, do it. Like you got this, like, because the world doesn't really work like that. I mean, it does and it doesn't. You live in America, probably. If you're listening to this, there's a really good chance that, that you are an American um, citizen or you um, have immigrated here and are like, you know, um, maybe you've got a visa, maybe a green card, maybe you're working. But the point is like you're in America and, and the American way of thinking can often be uh, uh, supporting of this idea that you are great, wonderful, exceptional and deserve everything that the world has to give while neglecting uh, what exists outside of these borders. And so like I only say that as like my little you know, I'm going to like insert that because, because I think with the right mindset, you can go into doing what you love. Yeah. And it's definitely not a deserved thing. You're right about that. Like I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that I deserve to get to do this stuff that I do particularly, but I'm very fortunate to Mm -hmm. like, I'm very thankful that I get to do what I do, but it's not something that was just like handed to me. Like, Oh, you did a great job. You deserve this. It's like, nah, dude, we work our ass off. Mm -hmm. We are perpetually unemployed people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for us somehow that means freedom because Mm -hmm. we don't have to go clock in and out every day. Mm -hmm. And if there's a day where projects aren't there and there's other stuff to do, I can stay home and clean Mm -hmm. or I can work on that personal project. That's going to help me get the next job you know, or just to be more fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. But freedom to some people is knowing that when they're not at work, they don't have to think about work and that they have that time and knowing they're going to have the money there. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, okay. So you're at Weld, you joined Weld. Yeah. Okay. Can I, can we, can we yeah, go back sorry, to that go, really yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I want to respond. That's, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, you know, uh, one thing that has, uh, shaped a lot of how I think about, um, hard work and, um, dedication, passion, responsibility, duty, all those things. Yes. I said duty, um, is, uh, are my parents, um, both my step parents and my, uh, my, um, birth parents. Is that weird to say step parents and birth parents? <laughs> is that, Only if you make oh, it I wanted to say regular, but like my step parents <laughs> are also regular. Um, but anyway, all four of my parents, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I won't get into the specifics of, of the family dynamic there, but, uh, what I, what I will say is that <clears throat> what I learned from that is, um, there really is something to be said about structure and longevity and not just being a, uh, an addict of the impulsive and the immediate. I'm learning this right now. I'm not perfect at it at all. I am 
I am constantly trying to grapple with this idea of, of what does it mean to be structured in your work and what does it mean to be um, free flowing? Because if you're a freelancer, you're going to be doing a lot of things that you don't want to be doing. You just, you have to know that like, you're going to have to send invoices. You're going to have to learn how to write better. You're going to have to learn how to, um, go after projects and be proactive in a way that feels uncomfortable and awkward. And it doesn't just mean that like, Oh, I'm going to say freelance. Everything that I do is exciting. Um, if you want, I, if you want a, an exciting job or, or you get to do the things you love all the time, you should just go get a job at an agency. Yeah, yeah. Get you a nine to five where you don't have to think about the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's, and again, there's nothing wrong with that too. It's like go and go and, and, and find that, that thing that supports that. But, but to do it on your own requires a lot of, a lot of grit. I mean, how I would compare it is, uh, as a, uh, as an architecture student, um, we, uh, we have, well, architects and architecture students alike use uh, a lot of trace paper. Um, so not like, you know, your, your four-year-old trace paper, where it's just like a sheet and then you kind of like trace and sketch on it, you know, and you're like, I made a picture, you know, you've got, um, rolls of, uh, white or transparent yellow trace and, um, and so you roll these things out and you sketch on it and there's a real free flowing nature to, to like rolling that sheet out and drawing and like coming up with a house, right? Like you're, I want the bathroom here, I want the kitchen here, I want, you know, I want this to look like this, I want it to have this feel. It's sort of the same feeling that you have when you, you like dive into this, dive into a, a, a computer program that allows you to build your house and you're like, it's got a movie theater, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 the shit that every, everyone one's like dream home has like some people have showed me like I want to build this house and I'm like mm, that's 500 square foot good luck uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and your house my friend is like you know 10,000 square feet so just do the math what do you do <laughs> oh yeah okay well that your job will not support that um but, um, you know, as an architecture student, there, there's a real like excitement about, uh, diving into the project to begin with. Okay. You unroll the trace, you start sketching out ideas, you're writing some things and it is exhilarating. Okay. It is so much fun to begin doing that kind of thing. Like starting a project and really diving in is, is so exciting. Um, but as my very first architecture professor very wisely told us, um, you know, he was, he was, I think at the time in his like late sixties, early seventies, maybe he's an old guy, but he was a vet. Like he was hard as hell. Uh, he was, it was the hardest year of my architecture, uh, uh, you know, student life. And he said, uh, you know, guys, uh, <laughs> you know, you're designing and doing all this stuff right now, but basically this is 5% of the project, maybe 3% of the project. The rest of the project, you're going to be drawing, you're going to be diving into construction documents and doing negotiations and da da da. And we're all like, what? This isn't going to be our everyday. You know, we're not just going to sit here and trace things and people are going to turn them into buildings and then we get all the credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how the world works. And it's like you get out into the real world and you see, oh, yeah, no, whenever you're designing a house, um, you know, for example, you don't have a lot of time to, to sit there and like, mull over and rest on and like lay in the glory of hundreds of ideas while other people are like putting in the hard work you have you have you have to get your ideas on paper you have to present it in a way that the client gets it and understands it and then you have to um, share it and hope that it sticks and then you have and then from that point 95% of the project is you developing construction drawings you know picking materials and like doing all the things that are very 
very specific to the project um, that really carry most of the weight. And they're the, it's, it's the, it's very similar to a camera. I mean, you're adjusting all these settings and you're adjusting all the exterior settings to come up with what it is that you want it to be. But it requires a lot of technical knowledge and, 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 and time as well. But it's not all like rainbows and, you know, I don't know, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so all that to say, uh, for me, the, the, the struggle for me has always been how do I, how do I remain structured? How do I remain free-flowing? And where do those things exist? And will I be able to eat and pay my rent as a result of it? Um, and uh, I feel like I'm only now coming out on the other side of that. It takes some time. A lot of time. I remember, I remember when I first started, because I feel like I'm coming out the other side a little bit myself. And you know that could change in six months and be like, oh, just kidding. The bottom fell out again, and I'm in a valley. I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I first started, and I would hear people talk about, yeah, it takes you know, it takes a couple <clears throat> years to really get your feet under you and kind of get going. And I remember after like two years or three years, I was like, oh, I kind of I see what they mean. Yeah, it does take some time, but I'm kind of mm -hmm. starting to get there. And now, yeah. at like six, like I said, just over six years, I'm like, oh, it really does take some time. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, I feel like it's just going to continue to get better with time. Mm -hmm. And longevity oh, yeah. is really where it's at. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go back to Weld. Okay. So now we're at Weld. Mm -hmm. Let's. Go ahead and pick that up, and at some point, I'd like to find out where hundred dollar headshot comes in, and how that kind of stuff, and where. <laughs> I was kind of hope we get to the end of this and not mention a single business name. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so uh, hundred dollar headshot actually uh, started from, um, you know, actually the the conception of it was around the time that I started a weld. I mean, it was 2014, 2013, 2014. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty quickly after I, I noticed that a lot of the, um, other portrait photographers, excuse me, in the space at weld, I'm sorry, were, uh, charging, you know, a lot of money for portrait sessions. And, um, what I noticed too, was that, um, there's a market of people who couldn't and didn't want to spend four, five, six hundred dollars on headshot. So I was like, one, I'm broke, uh, and you know, let's experiment a little bit and see what happens. I basically just on my SkylarFike.com website put a little like link at the top that said, you know, um, headshots or hundred dollar headshot and whatever. And, uh, the, the, the goal was since I had the studio at my disposal at Weld was to just book it for an entire Saturday. And in that entire Saturday book, you know, one session every, we'll just say every hour at a hundred dollars. So at the end of the day, if I booked eight to 10 sessions, um, then I would have 800 to a thousand dollars. It was very mathematically. It was like, I'd be willing to work an eight to 10 hour day at a hundred an hour. Now, now let's be real here that eight to 10 hours, then you're editing, right. Then you're corresponding with clients yep. and sending things out. But at the time it was still very simple. Someone wanted a headshot. They pay a hundred. They came in. I took their headshot. I give them like the deliverables were insane at the time, by the way, you know, five photos fully retouched. You know, if they wanted extra photos, I would just give it to them. Like there was no structure to it. There was just, you know, here's your session. Here's where to go. Um, but 
yeah, I, I threw out the idea to uh, a few people just to see, and they were like vehemently opposed to it. My photographer friends, for the most part, were kind of like, uh, I don't think it's going to work. You know, um, it's too cheap, uh, all this other stuff. And I was like, <clears throat> now I listened to some of that advice because I, eventually it did have to change, you know, what people received as a result of the service. But yeah, for the most part, um, uh, I was just charging a hundred bucks, uh, and, and, and the first, the very, 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 very first hundred dollar headshot session, um, was a completely full session. Um, you know, and, uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a really big success. And I was like, I thought I was only going to do it once, make a, make, you know, $300 and then like peace out. And, uh, uh, no, it, it turned out to be really good. Um, in fact, Richard Ross, King Richard Ross is yes. as he is in my phone. Ross. Yeah. The, the Rick Ross, Ricky Rose, one of my closest friends, uh, uh, was my assistant that day. <laughs> and if you know Richard, Richard is no longer anyone's assistant. <laughs> no, Richard but, probably has many assistants yeah, now. Richard has many. Yeah. 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 Uh, Richard would still be my assistant if I asked him and I would still be his assistant if he asked me. Uh, but no, there's no, there's no euphemism there, by the way. Um, uh, there was for me. There is for you. <laughs> 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 We're each other's assistants. Um, so, uh, yeah. So anyways, it was, it was a success. And I, and I thought to myself, okay, maybe there is some potential here to continue to grow it and see what happens. And so basically once a month, very last Saturday of the month, I would post uh, you know, a headshot day, you know, um, hundred dollar headshot, book it online, um, through my website and come in and then it just became HDH session one, HDH session two, cause I didn't know when it was going to end, but I didn't think it would really pick up. Um, yeah, so that's where, that's where it started and, and that's where it continued. What else do you want to know? Uh, so you have now with, um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to fill in the gaps mm -hmm. since then, since weld. Um, I know we've gone pretty in depth so far, maybe not quite as in depth just for time's sake, mm -hmm. but what's the kind of, what is your professional journey looked like since joining weld kind of mm -hmm. like between jobs and doing a hundred dollar headshot. And now you have the photographer shooting with you and doing stuff with that. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, to fill in the gaps a little bit from then to now, um, the hundred dollar headshot is still, uh, is still a, an operating business. Um, uh, I grow it very organically and slowly. I don't have any like capital invested in it. It's just whatever I make is honestly what I, uh, reinvest back into the, the business. And so it's, it's a slow moving thing, um, which I kind of like. Um, it's the best way. Well, I, I also I have it. other, there, there's architecture, uh, you know, uh, Skylar Fike studio, um, which more formally I started in the last year or so, just a place to start putting my architecture work. And, um, now just to be clear, I'm not licensed as an architect yet. I'm, I'm finishing exams, um, or taking exams. They're not near finished, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm taking them currently. Uh, so, um, yeah, once I become a licensed architect, that'll be, you know, there, but I've, I've, uh, I do have architecture work. And so I also have commercial photography work. And so those two things supplement that allow, you know, supplement in such a way that allow me to develop the hundred dollar headshot, um, in a way that I don't feel like pressed to take on, you know, debt or money. Right. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, but that's not to say that from 
you know, 2014 when I started it, uh, to now, um, that I, you know, there haven't been struggles and changes in, 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 in work. And so I've actually worked, um, uh, two full-time jobs, uh, since then, um, over the course of about 18 months to two years, along with doing hundred dollar headshot and then commercial photography when I could, no, I'm sorry, three full-time jobs over the course of two and a half years, two and a half. Yeah. Uh, so one was for an architecture firm. Um, I went back to, uh, to work at a small firm and then, um, the, the firm that I went into, uh, their office on main street, yeah. deep Elm that hired me right off the bat. Uh, um, they reached out to me in, uh, 2016, I think, and asked if I wanted to come work full time. And so I, I basically quit my job at a firm that I really liked being at. Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, but I was like, I had always wanted to pursue something that had to do with affordable housing and and uh, in the nonprofit realm and just to see what I could, you know, do. And so I went to work for that nonprofit for a year. Um, same, basically the same office and for the most part, same people that I knew from 2010. So it came full circle. They called me back and and um, worked for them for about a year. And then uh, Mizzen and Maine, uh, Richard over at Mizzen and Maine. Uh, King Richard Ross, who I just referenced. He's the creative director, right? He's the creative director over there. Yeah. Killing it. And um, uh, he, uh, <laughs> we, were at, we were at drinks one time, he and his wife and I, and we were just like, you know, laughing. I was like, man, if I had any, if I had like one desire to do anything, you know, I'd probably like do film and photo, you know, um, at, at Miz. And I think it'd be so much fun to just come. And it was like, we were drinking and talking and laughing. And so it was sort of like a little bug I put in Richard's ear. And then like two months later, um, as I was going to be, you know, uh, quitting my job at the nonprofit to, to pursue, um, freelance and, and start my businesses, he was like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but you said something one time that made me think. And, um, you know, do you want to come work at Mizzen and Maine? <laughs> and it was like literally uh, the thing that I wanted to do. I put the bug in someone's ear and the bug actually became the inception of an idea, <laughs> which I was just like, I was like, it worked. That was crazy. Um, so I, I put that on hold and I went to work at Mizzen and Maine for about eight months and, um, you know, got to just do a lot of creative film and photo, complete shift of what I was doing yeah. from architecture to film and photo, uh, full time for, for a company. I think <clears> pause <throat> one second. I mm-hmm. want to make it, put an interjection just we talked earlier about like co-working and weld and some of the power that's there with Mizzen and Maine. When Mizzen and Maine started out, they started here in Dallas and Kevin Lavelle, the CEO, or I don't think he's a CEO anymore. He was for a long time. One of the owners, founders officed at weld. And that is how Richard met him. Richard was a freelancer. Richard actually originally interned at Weld Mm -hmm. and then joined Weld. And through his internship there, made enough connections with people and started getting experience to be able to start his career as a freelance photographer. Um, Started getting enough work to where he joined Weld after his internship ended. And along the way, somewhere he started doing some work with Mizzen and Mayan on a freelance basis because he met Kevin at Weld, right, which then turned into a full-time gig mm-hmm. and doing big stuff, mm-hmm. and then you working with them, mm-hmm. and so it's really interesting to see how like how long-term those relationships and those com- those mm-hmm. communities co-working spaces have really um, have paid off. Oh, and yeah. So like just to just to kind of like yeah. add ammunition to the value mm-hmm. of space like that. Yeah, anyway. absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it, everything um, ends up coming full circle. And Dallas is a Dallas. To, it's a big to, small place. It's a big small city. Yeah, people who people who come here from small cities, it's or small towns. It's a it's a big city. But if you've lived here, it's a it's a town. 
you can, you, you yeah. know, you know, you know, people around, you know, yeah, it's very, very tight knit groups. Yeah. Um, very accessible. Um, so yeah, I uh, worked full time for Mizzen for, for eight months and then I loved working there, but it, it wasn't a good <clears throat> fit for me. And I had, I had, uh, and not, not because of the, not because of the business or the company at all. It was just, it was about, you know, what I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue, uh, I wanted to grow a hundred dollar headshot. I wanted to, um, finish my architecture license. I wanted to grow a firm. Um, and I wanted to be able to take, you know, commercial photography jobs that seemed like fun and, and then kind of let those all exist in, in, in tandem with each other and see how that worked. And, uh, and yeah, so, um, I quit there on a very good basis. And, and by the way, for anybody listening, if you're working at a job, um, the best advice I ever received with respect to quitting a job, um, don't go by the two week rule. Um, give them, give them like, give them like six weeks, like do what no, I mean, now a lot of times if you're quitting a job and going to another job, you don't have that freedom. It's like, okay, you start in two weeks, you've been interviewing. Um, if you're quitting your job to, to do something that, um, you can do like, depending on what they're willing to give you, just say, I want to break out. I want to do my own thing, but, but give them like, I think, I think the nonprofit I worked at, I gave them eight to 10 weeks. Um, I think Mizzen in Maine, I gave, I, I think two months notice. Um, my other jobs were anywhere from three to six weeks. And, and one of my mentors is a, is a French guy, Guillaume Dumier. He, uh, he's, uh, you know, given me some of the best advice I've ever gotten and he's super successful too, but he just, he instilled in me that mindset, give them more time, give them time. You will, you will really foster a powerful relationship just by giving them a little time. And that has rang true every single time. These, these the places that I, I quit work at hire me for other jobs. They just, rem the last thing that they remember was that I respected them. And so it's really important. Just know going into it. Don't, don't take two weeks and leave unless you just really hate the place and you don't like the people there. But even then I would say, try to respect them and the process and take some time. So, um, yeah, um, uh, eight months in, uh, gave like six weeks notice to Mizzen and, uh, yeah. And then started doing my own thing. And so from, from then that was, uh, what are we in June right now? Um, this was almost exactly a, uh, I guess about a year ago, um, that I quit and moved into, you know, the studio over here and then now at wax space. So I know that mm -hmm. you have had employees and interns. Mm hmm. I'm listening. <laughs> what I'm just trying, I'm thinking mm -hmm. what's your process been like as far as determining being able to identify a need for that, figuring out what to delegate to them. Have you gone about sourcing them? Well, just that whole process. And part of the reason I ask is because I have never really done much of this and I'm kind of starting to delve into it a little bit myself and so I want to learn from you what I can, but I think it would be helpful for others as well. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> well, uh, it's important to state this is not an area where I excel or I, I'm, I'm very strong. I mean, it might be perceived as that, you know, if someone sees me with someone that I've, quote, hired. Um, but uh, to be totally honest, like, you know, I don't, I don't know when the right time is. I mean, I have... There are photographers who uh, who I work with, um, uh, Elisa, Drashawn, uh, Marshall, uh, people who I've hired hired again, quote unquote, for hundred dollar headshot, who are listed as photographers, and not to give like my like 
you know, secrets away here, but they're listed on the website, but you know, they, um, you know, they kind of just get paid, paid per project, you know, or, or, or paid per shoot. Um, you know, it's, it's not like I've got these people full time, like, you know, waiting to, to, to shoot and the volume of shoots coming in isn't insane either. So, you know, frankly, um, with respect to a hundred dollar headshot, um, you know, it's like if something is available and they want to shoot it, then they go shoot it and then I pay them and then the company makes money and they make good money, you know, and, and that's kind of that relationship between myself and photographers with, um, with, uh, any assistance that I've, I've had. Um, a lot of times <laughs> it's, I, I make this decision that like whenever there's a lot of work, I think that I need someone to be doing a lot of things for me. And so I will find a way to bring someone on just to like help them do help me do some of the mundane tasks that I don't want to do. Um, I don't regret that, but at the same time, like, I think I could have worked a little bit harder to do the things that I didn't have to pay someone, you know, $15 an hour, you know, to do. Um, a really good example of this, um, one of my assistants who is a rock star <laughs> and a gym. And like, once she quits her job, like I want her back because <laughs> she's awesome. Uh, she, she works for Deloitte now. Um, but, uh, I was, uh, I'll just be honest about the numbers here. I think I was paying her, um, I don't know. It was in the ballpark of like $15 an hour for, you know, 10 hours a week of work, 10 to 15 hours. And just told her to keep track of her time. What I was having her do um, was send emails to people and, uh, you know, um, if headshots were done, then send the email to the people. And and I was just the, the thing is, like, that's not where she excelled, but that's a good thing because she's way more talented than the work that I was giving her. Um, way more talented. I was giving her like admin jobs that just like, you know, she was like, look, this is this is easy. And it's, you know. Like I could, she could have been used for like, you know, um, pursuing, you know, leads on like head on like business clients, but I just, you know, I didn't have my, my shit together. So I didn't know what to give her that was appropriate. I just felt like I needed an assistant. It's kind of this idea. I don't know. Excuse me. And, um, she had a three month stint hired, hired her on contract, um, I mean, it was the equivalent of about $800 a month that I was, you know, paying, you know, for work. And she was invaluable. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but I discovered that what she was doing and didn't necessarily enjoy doing, um, I figured out how to automate um, using Zapier. Um, Z-A-P-I-E-R in the show notes. <laughs> yes, put a link to Zapier in the show notes. Yeah. This is a non non-sponsored <laughs> this is a non-sponsored ad we are not sponsored by Zapier yet but, but, but Zapier, maybe I love you if you're listening um I pay I think I pay for like the premium plan the 50 or 60 dollars a month um but literally everything from A to Z within my headshot company now with respect to almost everything is automated um connecting the apps using Zapier. So what I was paying $800 a month for, I now pay $60 a month on. And, um, and now like if, if, you know, my amazing Bella <laughs> was still with me, I would just have her be like chasing down leads for, for, you know, business clients and then getting, getting work that way. So, um, you know, I would say if, if to anyone listening, like be, 
be mindful that you could probably, with proper time management and taking care of the things that you need to be taken care of, um, do the work yourself as much as you can, um, put in the extra hours and save, save the overhead. But then also once you know, you're really ready, like if you're drowning in work and you can't handle your administrative tasks, then begin to, um, search for someone who can, who can, uh, help you in that way. And then, and also do a good job of making sure that they're the right person for the job. Um, you know, that's uh, that's a that's a huge thing is making hire hire correctly to start. Um, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of hiring correctly to start. And then like and then like, you know, finding my way through navigating what it's like to have someone working for you. You know, um, I would so. just from my my limited experience doing it, just observational, I, I, I feel like it's definitely better to hire slowly. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. fire quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Take your time getting somebody in, but once you do, if you realize it's not a good fit, get them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. It's good. Yeah. Not and, always the case, but I would say by and large, it seems to be that way. Well, in a contra- in a, and it's such a contract freelance driven market, like you shouldn't really have a problem finding someone to do certain tasks at like a contract rate. Just make sure you have what it is that you need very clearly laid out. Um don't be slow in giving them work. Like, just have things ready for them to do. Because um, remember, they're looking to you. Yeah, they're looking to you to delegate. And and something I see a lot is people wanting like the new thing, the next thing, mm-hmm. and jumping from thing to thing to thing. And sometimes I'm like, man, this person has only been at this job for like two months, and they're already talking about, yeah, well, I'll be here for six months, and I'm going to go to this place and go over here, and then I'm going to go over here and ante up mm-hmm. over here and do this thing to get mm-hmm. ahead this way. And I'm like, mm-hmm. man, it's it it. I think it's to our detriment that this happens, and I think we're going to get down the road and realize, wow, we should not be so quick and hasty to go on to the next thing because there is a lot of power in taking things slow and being in things for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, transiency, I believe, is the word. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're, we're addicted in a very transient world mm-hmm. where we're worried about commitment. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm guilty of the same thing. It's why I freelance for so long. It's because I don't want to be locked into one thing or committed mm-hmm. to one thing. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but instead you like make your own office and come into it every day. So you mm-hmm. still, I mean, Casey, you still kind of basically do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, I learned and, and I'm still learning about, you know, commitment. Uh, but coming back to Dallas and, and dedicating sort of myself to a city and just saying, okay, I'm here for the long haul, at least until I'm very clear that I need to move somewhere else. Um, you know, that to me, I think, has enabled me to be a little bit more, you know, serious about yeah. about my work. It helps to have that firm foundation. Yeah, yeah, and and also it also it's you know I can't tell you how many times I wanted to quit doing hundred dollar headshot, like literally give it up. In fact, it wasn't it wasn't a month and a half ago that I was, you know, literally ready to shut the door after like a really really difficult month, and um, people were like, why, why, <laughs> like don't shut it down, uh, just. Find find a way to to make it work for you, you know, and then grow. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll stay committed to this person, <laughs> this thing, this entity. Uh, yeah, and so you know, it's tough, but 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 worth it if you can stick with it. Cool. Well, man, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Is there in like thirty seconds, what do you feel like people should take away from this? Um, 
in 30 seconds. Give me a second words. to think and then you can cut the gap out. Um, <laughs> um, let me think here. Okay. Um, first thing is that you are not special, but you are invaluable. There is something that you do have that the world um, does need. And, um, and it's a win-win where you can benefit because you're doing what you enjoy and love and the world will benefit from um, the gift and, and the talent that you have to offer. Um, just know that going into it as a freelancer, um, frame your mindset around the idea of, of uh, trial and error testing things out, experimenting, see what works, and don't be afraid of um, failing or not doing something well, but just keep trying your best and experimenting and, and, and seeing what you can uh, come away with. And, uh, and I think as a final note, um, let it, let it uh, be, how do I say this? You're going to develop grit. G-R-I-T. <laughs> Grit. You're going to develop that as a result of working really hard and struggling. Embrace the struggle. Find your way around and navigate and, uh, and be willing to develop that grit because the world is going to be brutal at times also. So, um, and I love you. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming on, Skylar. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this show today, you took anything away from this, would you please uh, let me know? And there's a few ways you can do this. You can do this direct message me on social media. You can uh, leave me just a smashing, amazing review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find this. Most likely Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's very helpful. Or even just sharing it. Uh, if you know other freelancers that might uh, take something away from this. And then lastly, if you know any freelancers that you think would be a good fit to be on freelance friday i'd love for the suggestion uh and at the end of it all thanks so much for listening and uh talk to you next time freelance friday is a vacacy production vacacy is a freelance content creator based in the united states and available worldwide vacacy big production value freelance agility and scale 